Welcome to a new episode of Brace Yourself Season 2. In this episode, Philip Nguyen, ADS's immediate past president, along with Jake Templer and Lockie Berry, all final year students from La Trobe, had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Jay Singh, a dentist from Queensland and a clinical educator at UQ. Tune in as Dr. Jay provides some valuable tips and advice on maximising your capabilities as a student, the importance of a healthy work-life balance, preparing yourself for graduate life, building a network around you with clubs and societies, and his experiences as a clinical educator. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Philip and welcome back to the next uh, episode of the ADSA podcast, Brace Yourselves. Um, my name is Philip Nguyen and um, I am the current um, immediate past president of ADSA. Uh, last year, I was the president of ADSA, and I've uh, been involved with ADSA for quite a long time now, um, ever since my second year of uni. Um, and so um, I asked Fikan if um, I could help out with this podcast in any way. And um, I re- recorded an episode last year, and I wanted to do the same this year. Um, so um, I've got some friends joining me today. Uh, first, we've got Jake and Lockie. Um, they're Two final year students um, at La Trobe University with me. Um, they're some of my best friends. I've known them since my first year, and um, they're going to be helping me out today. So, um, Jake, how are you feeling today? Yeah, good, thank you. That's good. And Lockie, are you um, whereabouts to you guys at the moment? Back in back in Melbourne. I'm in Ballarat at the moment, where we we're placed for the final year. But great to be here and thanks for having us on, Phil. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for joining me. So, um, Jake, how, how about you go about and um, tell us, tell everyone how we know each other and um, sort of the last few years that we spent together? Yeah, so um, we, all, we all met in um, first year. Um, yeah, so I uh, kicked it off uh, in first year um, and being, you know, best, best mates ever since. Um, I think we've always been there to support one another, which is important because we've sort of lived away from home um, or moving away for uni. Um, and I think that's sort of, you know, strengthened our friendship. Um, you know, we've studied together, we've, we've enjoyed uni life together and, and now thankfully um, we're on placement together and about to head out into the real world as dentists. Um, and hopefully we can still be there for one another, learning and um, bouncing ideas off each other, treatment planning, um, difficult situations together, and yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, exactly right, Jake. And um, you mentioned that we're on placement together. So uh, the three of us are all placed in Ballarat, and um, like we've been lucky to be been all put together. Um, lucky, what what's it like to be in placement for? Um, in Ballarat, at La Trobe. So at, at La Trobe, um, we get placed at the public clinics all across regional Victoria. So there's some in Bendigo, Ballarat, Mildura, um, Wodonga, and some others that I'm forgetting, Ararat. So it's really good experience. We get to see a, a very wide variety of patients and, and cases. So at, in Ballarat, we we see about um, four or five patients a day. 
with with great help from the excellent demonstrators, always pushing us to, to learn more and, and think critically about our decisions. And it's just been an amazing experience seeing um, our skills and our knowledge develop over the past six months, and we've still got another six months to go at this placement. Mm. Yeah, but, um, Ballarat is the, the second place I've ever moved to. Before that, we, we were in Bendigo for the last four years, and um, it's, a, it's a great place to be. The clinic there is amazing. Um, the, the staff there um, are really helpful, and I feel like we've, the three of us have sort of grown so much um, in the last six months that we've been there, and uh, we've got another six months to go. So I'm looking forward to to what else we get up to and what else we do there, which is um, really good. But um, the special um, guest that we have for today, um, who who is joining us, is um, Dr. Jay Singh. Um, Dr. Jay graduated from his dental degree in um, 2007 from UQ, the University of Queensland, uh, with first class honours. And since then, he has worked as a general dentist in private practice and also a clinical supervisor um, at the dental school at UQ. Um, he participates in dental volunteering, including with Homeless Connect Australia um, and the Zuchi International Medical Association. And um, he's been volunteering with, with this association, which runs free dental fairs for recently arrived refugees ever since um, he was still a dental student. Um, he is currently a board member for the um, Australian Dental Association, the Queensland branch, um, and is currently the junior vice president. Um, early this year, he initiated the establishment of a volunteering and dentistry community at um, ADAQ and is serving as the chair of that one. He's also the current chair of the Asset Management Committee. Um, so, got a quite, quite a lot of uh, things going along uh, going with this guy. Uh, so, very, very lucky to have him joining us today. Um, he's also a member of the Australian Prosthodontic Society and the Cadden Society, um, of which he is a past president. Um, he's a fellow of the International College of Dentists and the Pierre Fourchard Academy as well. So I'm um, very, very lucky to have Dr. Jay on board with us today to talk about his, about his experiences and um, sort of the transition that he went through from, gradu from student to graduate um, and any tips along the way that he can share with us um, and um, uh, for things that we can learn about so that we can also sort of transition and you know, go through that process a lot easier as well. So welcome, Dr. Jay. How are you today? Uh, good, good. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, glad to be here. and. Um hoping we have a good chat and give you guys a few tips along the way. Mm. Yeah, thank you for thank you for joining us. Um, so, yeah, today's episode um, we're going to be focusing mainly on the on the transition from student to graduate. Um, but as a student at UQ, how did you feel that your experience was? Yeah, so back when I was a dental student, we had the one three one course mode going. So with a year of science. Then we did three years of uh, dental school at the at the uh, first uh, sorry at uh, Turbot Street uh, in the city, and then the last year was placements. Like how you guys are on placements, so the first year was pretty good because it's just all science and not not a lot to do with dentistry. Um, and then second and third year were, were pretty hard. First year, you know, cutting plastic teeth for the first time. I'm sure you guys will remember it's it's hard going when you're not very good at it. Um, and when you start the clinic in third year, it, it was already, again, it was really hard because you're still getting used to you know, not, not getting straight sevens anymore. You know, you're getting fours out of sevens for clinic sessions. Um, 
but then fourth and fifth year i think things really clicked and i found it a lot more enjoyable and um like you guys sort of can see the finish in sight so that made it a lot more exciting and and fun mm. was there a um was there a part of um, dental school that you were really interested in and that sort of carried through now that you started working yeah i i think once you start seeing patients and dealing with people rather than just plastic teeth and the theoretical side of it um, and you can see you making a change for the better for people and interacting with patients and, and you know the rest of the team like with uh, technicians on placements um, yeah it just makes it a lot more real life and enjoyable yeah um, and specifically your final year um, how did you how did that go for you yeah, I, I was very, very lucky. I had I had some very good supervisors on placements, um, and early on, I decided that to to get the most out of it, I would pretend that I was like a qualified dentist already, and sort of try to take charge and make decisions. But obviously, have to fall back off a supervisor telling me if I'm doing the right thing and checking. I think if you do that, then you learn a lot faster and you improve a lot more um, but because you get you start to get some more of the the power if you like but with none of the responsibility yet because um, you've always got someone to fall back on and to to check your work mm. yeah yeah no, no, that's exactly right I, I kind of feel the same way you know I, I every time um, I do something more difficult like a like a hard extraction. It's always nice knowing that um, you've got someone there to fall back onto. Um, but um, I can imagine once you started working, it, it was completely different and it was a lot scarier, which um, I'm looking forward to. But at the same time, it's going to be a big, a big transition. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is a big transition. But if if you're doing it already now, um, <clears throat> it's it's surprising how confident you can feel if you've been doing it the whole year during placements have you really taken i mean you still got six months to go as well so if you getting used to it the the funny thing is most people when they first start especially in the first six months the thing that you want someone to check actually is when you take a bite wing you really want someone to tell you if that's decayed or not so so once once you get past the first six months you you know you stop trying to find someone to look at that bite wing for you you know you sort of transitioning to, into a, like a real real dentist yeah yeah <laughs> that's good Jay could you tell us about your like your first um, couple of, of weeks as a, as a graduate dentist um, what they were like where you were working and um, just your experiences did you have full books or did you need to you know have a lot of downtime finding patients yeah that's that's a really good question uh, Lockie uh, so Funny enough, actually, once once I passed my final viva, we got a letter to say uh, you've, you've satisf satisfied all the requirements to become a dentist. I actually took, took that letter to Medicare in person, dropped it off, and um, got my provider number and prescriber number two weeks before I graduated. So I actually started working early December, um, and in my second week, I had to ask for time off to go to my graduation. So, so I got, <laughs> I got, I got started early. Um, That's good. So I've always had two part-time private jobs, which I've really liked the variety. 
Um, but yeah, when you first start, obviously you can't expect to be full five days a week. Um, it takes time to build up rapport with patients and to get used to building a rapport with the staff. So it's probably not a bad thing not to be completely snowed under when you first start, you know, start slowly, you know, eventually you might take half an hour to 45 minutes when examining clean, but it's not a bad idea to take a full hour, you know, just have a chat with people, get to know them, um, you know, and it works out in the long run if they feel really comfortable with you, um, you know, they might, they might say, oh, I'll get my wife to come see you, my kids to come see you. And then in the long run, it, if you look after people, um, the rest just sort of takes care of itself. Yeah. And Dr. J, how did you feel um, your confidence grew as you transitioned from student to a graduate dentist? Um... Yeah, so I, I think everybody is different. Um, I mean, you would know some students are probably even now very, very confident. Um, actually, th those are the ones that you probably worry about, the ones who are too confident. And then there are ones... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and then there are ones who are, are, are never really confident. So I think finding that middle balance is very important. Um, if you do the things that you know you're good at, take your time, don't rush, then your training should make you feel confident because you've done it before. Um, like I was saying before, if you've practiced in this year with a fallback, when the fallback disappears, it's probably not as hard as you think. You, you probably will feel, um, you know, you hear about tennis players, they, they keep hitting the ball again and again. So in the match situation, it's almost second nature. Um, so that way you, you will feel quite confident to do what you need to do. The, the hard things actually are talking to people you know, who are really scared, um, you know, talking about money maybe for the first time, you know, you're not just doing work. So that's, that's probably what makes it harder rather than the actual work itself. Uh, you just mentioned, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of graduate, graduates find difficult is talking about money. How did you sort of tackle that when you first started going out? Did you, um, did you, was there a certain sort of format that you, that you had these conversations sort of set out in, or was it, so you just sort of went with it and saw how, uh, saw how it went? So I'd love to say that I was very good at talking about this right from the start, which of course isn't true. Um, it, it is hard when you first start. I think I was just very conservative at the start. So, you know, if a patient needed a crown, I would just sort of say, oh, we'll do a filling, you know, if they need it. Um, and I worked in a lower socioeconomic area um, in one of the practices. So, you know, instead of saying you need a root canal, I'll just say, oh, we'll take it out because it's cheaper. Um, but then very quickly I learned that's probably not doing the right thing by the patient. So the approach then I quickly learned was just, just be honest, basically, you know, this is a problem. The options are A, B, and C. A will cost this much. B will cost this much. C will cost this much. This is how long each of those options are likely to work for. And then, and then just let them pick, really. Because if you, and you've got to be genuine and not, you know, you don't want to be one of those dentists who are just out to get as much money as possible. Because that, that comes across as fake very quickly. And it's, it's not 
it's not something you can hide. Um, um, so yeah, just just basically give them all the options and just be honest and, and then basically let people choose. Um, I said options A, B, and C, but it's probably better to always break uh, discussions into two options and then um, and then break it down again so that it's easier to choose. I um, I know that some people, when they feel like they're talking about costs or talking about treatment plans, they don't like to sort of impinge any opinions on where the the patient should go. Like even if one one treatment option was going to be like the best option, which would, would did you say for example after a root canal, um, a root can, and a, t- a tooth would obviously. Um, ideally need a crown would you say you know it's best if they do need a crown or you sort of said you know these are the options you can sort of choose which one you want to go for that's a that's a very good question um as a hint if you're going to talk about crowns after root canals talk about it before the root canal don't don't Mm. talk about that after the root canal that's that's when you get really angry patients Mm. if you if you you know you just spend two grand on root canal go oh actually it's another grand and a half to grand for another crown yeah um so if you do it up front it's almost like a total cost thing and then they can decide um no and again it's all about options um assuming it needs a crown you can say you know if you do it this will happen if you don't do it this may happen um these are the costs and and let them choose i probably wouldn't impart my uh, recommendation at the start. You know, if they ask, then certainly I would tell them which one I would do if it was my tooth. And, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily always have to be a crown either. You know, it could be like a like an onlay or just a cusp-covered filling that, that may work just as well, you know. Yeah. And then um, they'll let, let people choose. And, and I guess don't judge as well, you know, someone who may look very, very well off, they're not, they're, they might want to spend their money on the car instead to say, don't bother. And you might think someone would never get a root canal in a crown, but you know, they really value their teeth. They've seen their parents lose all their teeth and they, they, they don't want that to happen to them and they might, they might go for it. So yeah, give them all the options. Try, try not to have too much of your own bias into the decision. Yeah. Um, unless, of course, if they ask, then then yeah, give them your honest opinion. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Jay, just a question <clears throat> regarding um, appointment times for standard procedures. So, like um, fillings or extractions or emergency appointments. Um, how long did you have at, at the start of your career for each of those procedures, and how has that changed um, as you gain more experience? Have your appointment times shortened? And also, just did you get a chance to to pick those times yourself, or were they already set um, by the clinic manager or, or whoever at the clinics that you joined? So I, I was very lucky. I I worked at the two practices that I first worked at when I first graduated. In, in fact, I'm still with one of them now. Um, they they were very good in letting me choose. So I think when you start work it's it's good to choose an environment where you feel you've got autonomy and certainly if they dictate how much time you get to do things it, it for me it wouldn't be the best work environment yeah definitely um yeah so and at first i think 
think along how long you would need to do something and then add 15 minutes that that always helps not not running late is a very nice feeling running late is never a good feeling so yeah just give give yourself a bit of extra time uh to do it well the worst that can happen is you don't need the 15 minutes and you get to have a break uh your, your da will probably also like you a lot more so they don't have to rush <laughs> they can they can do things slowly and carefully properly um and i i think as time goes by you 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 definitely work faster and faster than you can reduce your appointment times yeah yep thank you uh, on that point of like developing your clinical skills and getting faster and faster, when did you know that you were sort of able to take on more advanced cases? So perhaps you you know decided that yeah you know what now I I think I've done enough root canal treatments to be able to take on a molar endo um, without having supervision. Like how did you know you were ready for that? I think if you start doing the easy stuff really really well your confidence builds and i don't think it's actually one actual day or week that i said to myself you know i think i can do this now it's it's a it's a gradual thing that happens over time um you know as an example uh, a few years back i started doing a lot of injectable composites for um you know fixing up people's smiles i don't know if you guys have heard of it or seen it yeah yeah um, yeah so you know it's a, it's a lot more uh, involved and I think you just start with small cases uh, I'm I'm lucky enough to be acquaintance acquaintances or if not friends with a lot of uh, specialists so getting good information that's not biased and just being really prepared helps you to do more complicated stuff over time but yeah I, I don't think it's any one day or one week where you you make that choice it's just a gradual thing and things just gradually get a bit more complicated and you feel confident enough to do it. Yeah, sounds good. And um, you know, that's sort of like the clinical aspect of the transition, but how did you find the transition of, you know, um, going into a team working environment where you're basically, I guess, in charge of, you know, a DA, um, you know, sort of assuming that boss role for that DA, um, how did you find that and how did you navigate that part and you know, become better as um, in that position? I, I think I start. I, I was given some very good advice when I was a student, which is um, be very nice to your DA because it, it's, it almost doesn't really matter too much how your practice runs. I mean, it does, but... What's even more important is your relationship with your, with your dental assistant because the difference between someone who you can work well with and someone who is sort of average and someone who just actually makes your life harder is huge. So with you guys on placements, you, you always have, you always have DA now or do you have an assistant? Um, in, in Ballarat, we're lucky enough to normally um, share one DA between, between two students or if we're lucky enough, um, have one DA to ourselves for the whole day. Um, which is um, unlike any of the other rotation placements that we have where you were, were assisting each other, like students assisting other students. So, um, I, yeah, we're, we're quite lucky to sort of get an experience of having a professional DA with us at the moment and uh, getting to know that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So so you would 
sort of know what I mean. Um, I think, as as with most things, it takes a bit of time. Finding out what you can do to make their life easier is it's a good way to build rapport. Um, being consistent, I think, is very important because a good dental assistant should be able to anticipate everything you're going to do and being consistent really helps. Um, and, you know, there, there are things that are technically not your job, um, but if there's, if you have a chance and you've got time and there's things you can do to help them help you, I would certainly encourage you to learn those things and to, to do it. Um, at the end of the day, it's all a team, it's a team game and it, it just makes such a big difference between you being a, an okay dentist and a, and a great dentist, depending on the help that you get. Um, yeah, I hope I answered your question mm. there. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So Jay, no, um, so Phil, could you quickly tell us, um, just quickly, uh, some of the, the best things about the, your first year out what you enjoyed the most and also what you found the hardest to manage um, yeah. or something that you struggled with in your first year, yeah. I think the hardest thing is just when you, you plan something really well and it just doesn't work out. Um, for most people when they first start, the, the hardest things are like getting stuck on the extraction for forever and needing to be rescued. Um, but, you know, you guys might be really guns at taking teeth out already though. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> lucky actually yeah, took just out like twelve teeth of one appointment the other day, so maybe lucky is yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just a, it's the little things. You know, can't can't finding the canal. You know, it's there. Can't can't getting that tooth out that you thought you could get. Um, even simple things like like a really deep distal gingival margin uh, filling that you can't get the band around and just you're spending forever on it. Um, but as time goes by, you sort of see the issues that might occur before they occur and, and they stop happening, which is good. Um, and, and the best days, again, it starts out as being singular events, you know, like a really good, you're really proud of a feeling you did, or, you know, you thought a tooth would be hard, but you managed to get it out. But now it's probably more general things, you know. It's, it's you look at things with a bit more perspective. So rather than a singular event, you just, you know, the day flows well. Um, the patients are really nice. It's, it's, you know, if you've seen them for a few years, it's almost like, you know, you ask them about the uni course or the new job. Um, and that's, that's what makes it really nice. Just seeing people you like and people who actually like coming to see you. Um, so yeah, I, I would say start out as singular events, but now it's just more general vibe that that makes that makes life really fun and and happy, and you're happy to go to work, and you work well with your dental assistant. That's really good. Yeah, I, I imagine building a strong rapport with your patients is always um, really really good, and, and makes you feel like you're doing worthwhile work and happy yeah, to have yeah, them. definitely. Just quickly. Yeah, back to the um, the hard time. Sorry, um, you mentioned you know getting stuck on a tricky extraction or um, not being able to find a, 
a canal. Did you did you have someone in your clinic, like a mentor, um, to to um, help you out in those situations, or did you have to kind of work it out on your own and maybe refer the case? Or something? Yeah, a bit of both. I, I did have a the one of the jobs that I'm still at now. The the dentist was very very helpful. My boss was very helpful um, to you know to talk to to get advice from. Um, in saying that. At times at that practice and at the other practice I was at when I first started, I was often by myself, actually. So um, the, the honest truth is I can't really remember that far back. Um, but yeah, right. but you, I think if you can't do something, don't don't push. You know, if, if you can't get the tooth out in half an hour, 45 minutes, you're probably not going to get it out with an extra two hours. If you can't find a canal in half an hour, an extra hour is not really going to help. It's, it's okay to stop and say, you know, I think I need to refer you. I think I need to get you to see the other dentist in the practice um, and then go from there. Obviously, ideally, you would have talked about that possibility before you started. It just makes you look better. Um, it, it is hard when you first start because you don't know what will be hard until until it is. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the second time, the second time, you know. So, Jay, you're a member of the Australian Prosthodontic Society. Um, is that your special interest in, in prosthodontics or um, are there other areas of dentistry that you're involved in? And how did you start becoming more and more interested in these particular areas? Yeah, so so my favorite things to do are definitely um, restorative and prosthodontic based. Um, I started because a friend that I graduated with said I should join, so I did, um, and it's it's been really good actually. Um, I'm also in another study club called Cadmus, um, and in that in that group there's a lot of specialists who I refer to. I think just Maybe not even necessary the lectures I went to helped. It's just being around people who know more than you and people who you can ask for help and ideas. And, you know, you can rock up to those study clubs and meetings with photographs and study models. And there's people who are willing to give you their opinions and their advice and their expertise help on, on those things really help. So that you're not in your own little bubble, um, trying to work things out by yourself. Mm. Mm. And um, I will, we'll, get, get, we'll sort of get to this a bit more later. But um, how did you hear about these study clubs? How did you join? Um, what was your sort of process with that? Yeah, this this is a hard one. I get this question a lot, actually. Um, I think it would be nice, and, and the, the Australian Dental Association, Queensland branch, we're trying to make it so that it's a bit easier for people to find clubs and, and study, um, sort of study clubs and um, societies. But you really just got to talk to people because chances are the specialists that you're referring to are in one of this, these clubs or societies, and then just ask for an invite. Um, um, I think you do have to do a bit of legwork yourself. If there's something you're interested in, you know, ring up your endodontist and go, you know, I'm really interested in doing root canals. Can I come to 
one of the societies that you're in um you know if if like me you like pros and you want to learn a bit more just yeah find find the prosthodontist ring them up and ask them if you can come as a guest or, or even other dentists in your practices or or just friends or or past supervisors who you know live in your same town you can ask them yeah get invited as a guest go to go to a few different ones and see which one you like uh, I, I remember going to Catmas for the first time and thinking, oh, you know, these are all the dames that are on the referral pads. It's, it's pretty cool to meet them. Um, and then after a while, you become colleagues. And then after a while, you become friends. And then you can um, you can have people to ask things, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, are you interested in, all, um, in specializing or um, are you happy as a general dentist? This is probably the second, this is the question I get the second most, actually. Yeah. So in, in the past, so people always talk about a career path, you mm-hmm. know, you, you work for a bit, then you buy into a practice, then you become an owner, or you, or you go specialize after, you know, five years. So, so for me, I think a career path doesn't have to involve those things. I think being an employed general dentist is the best thing ever. It's it's like the it's like the jackpot. It for, for me that's like the holy grail already. Um, which <laughs> which you hardly hear actually. You know that you know every the people you talk to uh, will always there's always something to reach for. You know there's there's always something else, um, which is true. But you could do that as a general dentist as well. Um, you know, a, f- a few years back, I, I started making appliances for people who have snoring issues and sleep apnea. Um, I've done uh, hands-on courses for implants. So I've, I've done a couple of implants. Um, we talked about the injectable composites. So none of that stuff I learned as a student. None of, none of that stuff probably even was on the radar of being taught and probably still still not really taught. Um, so to advance your career could be staying as a general dentist, but keep learning things. Um, and even if you do the same things, trying to become better at what you do, um, and, and thinking more long-term as well, you know, if you, if you, if you see enough crowns decoronate teeth, you know, you, you start to think of different ways to do things, um, yeah. So, so for me, I think being a general dentist, not only not being a business owner, it's it's a great thing. Uh, obviously, you know, if you if you love doing root canals and you want to do it every day, <laughs> uh, five days a week for the next forty years, then you should, <laughs> then you <laughs> you should definitely specialize. If you've always wanted to be a business owner, you know, call the shots uh, on everything. Then, then by all means buy in and own your own practice. Um, but if you find a good practice like I have, th- there is so much o- autonomy with like, like with what you said before, Phil, you know, you, you're not in charge of everything, but you know, you're still the team leader of your own surgery. If you like your, your dental assistant and, um, yeah, there's a lot of joy from that, I think. And it's a nice work-life balance. Mm. So Jay, um, just on that um, point of work-life balance, how what what do you find works really well for you? Um, obviously, it seems like you're loving, you know, doing the general dentistry. But 
Um, we understand sometimes the career can be quite demanding. So what do you do outside of dentistry to keep to keep a really healthy work-life balance? Yeah, so as, as, a, as a non-practice owner, basically when I walk out the clinic, I mean, oh, well, that's a lie. Some, sometimes I do think about um, heart cases coming up. But on the whole, you know, you leave the practice and you're pretty much you, you're done for the day. So I'm, I'm a huge... Uh, Brisbane Broncos fan. Mm. Um, yeah. they're, they're having a pretty crappy two years, but that's okay. Um, so, yeah, so finding hobbies, you know, going hiking, um, following your sports team, um, you know, watching Netflix. Yeah, just, just turning your mind off from work so it's not 24-7. Um, again, I, I'm very lucky. I, I actually quite enjoy my work. So I I never feel like, oh, it's, you know, it's only Wednesday. No, that's um, really good. The week goes by really, really quickly. Mm. Um, so I, I think if you enjoy it, 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 it actually becomes quite easy to get a good work-life balance. Mm. It's, it's not, it's not, you're not dreading it basically. Um, if you're dreading it, then perhaps, you know, the work environment isn't great for you or, or yeah, just, just change change something which might help yeah and are you working say that like, fully full-time so that like you're 38 hours a week are you doing a, bit, a little bit less taking a bit of time off for um you know for personal stuff i think yeah i probably mid to high 30s because I, I teach one morning a week at the uni mm-hmm. as well um i guess dentists unless you're in public though because in, in private, you sort of just work with their patients, obviously. So, you know, you, you could be a full-time dentist, in quotes, a full-time dentist as a first year out. But if you have two patients a day, you're not really full-time. So there's a difference between how much time you work mm. and whether you're full-time or part-time dentist. Um, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess this is something you got to discuss with your work, whether you, you have to hang around the clinic when you're not seeing patients or whether they try to put patients together for you so you don't have to hang around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very personal thing as to what you're willing to accept and what they want from you, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I've, yeah, for mid, mid to high 30 hours a week is probably pretty good. Yeah. That's good. Nice. And Jay, we heard earlier about your um, volunteering um, experience and, and what you're doing at the moment. Could you speak a little bit more to that, like how you got in the, into each each um, volunteering aspect and, and what exactly you do um, for those organisations? Yeah, so the main one is the Zushi International Medical Association. So again, I got into this because someone in my year said, Oh hey, I'm doing this. You should as well. So I did. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm very. Um, I just I just follow what people tell me to do. Um, so I started in fourth year as a dental assistant, and I had the most amazing uh, dentist that I helped on the first day, and like she was she was very very kind and very. And I I was just really taken back by how amazing someone could be for you know uh, basically a non paid job. So then I went back a second time and then the third time and the fourth time as a student 
and then I, and I really liked the people and I really enjoyed the work and I really enjoyed how big a difference it made to those people. Mm-hmm. So then after I graduated, I, I continued on now this time as, as the dentist and, you know, 14, 15, 16 years later, I'm still doing it and, it, and it's been really good. Um, so we, bo- we mostly see the ones I go to, we mostly see recently arrived refugees. So these are people who have no Medicare card, so they can't really go to Queensland Health. Um, they obviously don't have private health insurance yet, so they're sort of stuck in limbo. Um, and, and, you know, being able to make a difference for someone like that is, is, is really fulfilling. Because um, I always say you can't change the world, but you can definitely change um, the whole world for one person. You know, if they've got a toothache that they've been living with for, for three, four months, you know, taking it out might take 20 minutes, but, you know, they can get back to their life and look after the kids, look for jobs um, and not, not be in pain. And that's something that otherwise they wouldn't have had done if it wasn't for volunteering organizations. And there's so many and there's so many volunteer dentists out there. So... Yeah, if it's something that you're interested in, it should be fairly easy to find opportunities. Yeah, that sounds sounds incredible. You, you're really doing some amazing work for some people who who are in need of that, and it can be yeah, life life changing work. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's why I really wanted to start that uh, committee to try to make it easier for dentists who want to volunteer because it's ironically it's actually it's actually very hard to know how to volunteer especially locally Mm. there's a lot of there's a lot of missions and things that get get talked about overseas Mm. but with covid especially it's it's almost impossible to do any volunteering overseas at the moment Mm. yeah Um, but yet there's so many people in our local community who could um really do with the help Mm. And you, so, so, sorry, yeah, Phil. Um, so you just spoke about how you started that committee, um, and um, how you how you've sort of been involved um, in the Australian Dental Association. Um, what sort of has interested you to sort of join these associations and become the chairs of different committees, and um, you know the junior vice president, that sort of thing? And um, how would you sort of recommend um, if a student was interested in that sort of stuff as well? How would they get involved? I think the best thing would be to start on a on a committee in in your uh, local state branch. Um, so you know you you can have input, but you're not giving the time uh, requirement to become a fully fledged board member, and you don't have to be elected yet. Um, and then it's just seeing if you like it, and then you can do more and more over time. So I actually started. Because someone told me, you know, it's just it's four meetings a year, um, and give, give it a go. And I did, and, and I really enjoyed it. And then it's just it's organically you sort of take on more responsibility and you do more because you can see where you can help and where you think things will make things better. Because uh, at the end of the day, my overriding goal is just to make the profession and dentists better to serve the public. Um, that's my overriding goal. So any anything that helps with either you know improving CPD for dentists or 
improving opportunities for dentists to help people in need. Um, yeah, you, you see what could be done and you, you, you think about what can be done and then you, you do it, I guess. So, so is that what drew you towards um, being a demonstrator and a, a clinical educator, Jay? Yeah, yeah. I like I said, I, I was so fortunate to have some amazing um, supervisors when I was in dental school. Um, I would say I, I probably wouldn't have gotten to where I am without them. Um, not not necessarily in what the specific thing they taught, but just the journey of you know someone believing in you, believing in you, someone helping you to see what you could become. And I, I guess I wanted to do that back. Um, and yeah, teaching, teaching is a lot of fun. Uh, seeing people improve. Um, it's, it's, it's quite a nice thing to do. Mm. Um, and, and as, as you guys transition from you know, students to new dentists to more experienced dentists and you help other people, you'll, um, yeah, you'll get what mm. I mean. And um, for your teaching, are you more involved with, say, like the, the more senior students in like your fourth and fifth years or are you there uh, in the earlier years? I've done, I've done the whole lot, actually, but at the moment I'm doing more second years in, in pre-clinic with the plastic teeth. As, as you may recall, I said that, that was the hard years for me, the, the early on. So um, it, it's funny, actually, because... When you when you're early on, you know, not being able to cut a plastic tooth seems like the end of the world, and and it is because you you've got to pass. Um, but as you probably now know, it's it's more what it, it's it's doing stuff um, with your hands that's important, but also you know your your thinking of lifelong learning, being able to overcome obstacles. That's what's important. So teaching the early years is good because instead of just focusing on what you have to do day to day, just trying to cultivate cultivate the habits that will make you better in fourth and fifth year and when you graduate. It's, yeah, it's actually very fulfilling mm, to do. Mm. And I, um, especially here in Ballarat, we're spending the whole year with you know, the same set of clinical educators. Um, I feel like... It, we've sort of really developed a good friendship and, you know, we're able to openly talk about these cases and, and they're, they're really, you can tell that they're really passionate about teaching and how they really want you to grow and learn and become better dentists as you graduate. So, um, yeah, I find, I find the role of the clinical educator um, really, really special. And um, I feel like once I graduate, I'll still have, you know, these people who would be, you know, potential mentors in the future who I can always sort of message um, and email um, and sort of ask for advice for, which is, um, yeah, which is really cool. I think it's a good, it's a good um, job to have as a, as a clinical educator and you feel really rewarded to sort of be making such a big impact on some students' lives. Yeah, and, and dentistry is a really, really small world. Mm. So I'm, I'm now really good friends with some of my past supervisors mm. and I'm really, really good friends with some of my past students. So that, that student clinical supervisor relationship really only lasts for five years at most if you have the same supervisor for five mm. years. Um, but really, it's often it's only one or two years and then really you become colleagues and for the ones you really like, they become your friends as well, which is... Um, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. And um, 
I guess just to round out this episode, um, you know, as someone who's got so much experience as a teacher on all these different boards, um, what would your sort of piece of advice be for um, finally students specifically about to graduate? Um, yeah, what would you what would you tell them, and how would you sort of make that transition a bit easier? I think if I had my time over, I would do exactly what I said earlier. Treat treat your final six months like you've already graduated, um, but give give your supervisor the respect of being someone who's already you know qualified. But you know, have have opinions, have make decisions, and then get them checked, so that you're sort of thinking like a qualified dentist already. I, I always used the analogy analogy of like being um, an L plate driver. You know, when you before you get your license, you're still driving like a per- person who's you know a proper driver. You just happen to have someone next to you who you know tells you to do this, do that, be careful, watch out for the car, you know, check the blind spot. But you really are in control already, just with the backup. Um, I think. You really make good use of that last six months that you've got. Um, and the second piece of advice I would give would be, and this really goes for all dental students and even new dentists, basically do do the best you can do so you can sleep happily at night um, Do and do the right thing by people. Don't, don't think about uh, the money. Don't think about, you know, quotas, for, if you have quotas for uni, just do, do the best and do what you think is right. Do what you would do for your mum or dad or your sister or brother. Um, but, you know, if things go against you on that day, live, live with the best that you did on that day with that patient and, and don't, don't, um, don't beat yourself up over something that maybe you couldn't control um, as long as you've really tried your best and, and done what you think was the right thing to do. Um, yeah, because that's the the opposite of being overconfident is just beating yourself up. And um, I mean, we all do it, um, but try not to. Mm. Mm. <laughs> too much. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us today, um, Dr. J. It's been really good talking to you and you know learning about all your all your experiences and um, on that sort of thing. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll, close off the, we'll close off this episode now. Um, so thank you everyone that's listening at the moment um, and joining us for another episode of the ADSA podcast, Brace Yourselves. And um, it's been really nice coming back on and I'm doing something for ADSA. It's been a little bit of a, it's been, I've been a bit of a, on a um, hiatus from ADSA um, now that I've been on more of the immediate past president role, but it's nice to be back um, and to have my friends Lockie and Jake joining me um, to host this episode. Um, it's been really fun. So um, I hope everyone enjoyed it and um, enjoy the rest of your years and hopefully we'll keep in touch and see each other's um, in, this, in the short time future. Thank you for having me. Nice, thank you.